uh, talking about apologetics in in 3D, um, which I, I, I called uh, after this uh, recent reinvention of uh, three-dimensional films at the, at the cinema that we had in the last uh, few decades. Um, but uh, really talking about a, a holistic uh, approach to uh, apologetics. And let me just do some setup uh, before lunch in, in part one here. Uh, before we go into some more uh, detail uh, after lunch uh, on what is really the, the core idea uh, of the material uh, in this uh, new book, uh, which is um, really made up of a collection of essays that was published in the College Journal, in uh, Theophilus Journal. You may know that the, the word uh, apologetics uh, which is a terrible word to, to use for this subject, particularly in, in, in English, because it sounds like you, you're talking about um, saying sorry to people, <laughs> apologising. Um, but it, it comes from the, the Greek, um, particularly famously used in uh, 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter talks about uh, Christians always being prepared to give an answer. Uh, and the, the word in the Greek there is apologia, um, which literally means a word back or uh, a rational defence, what your defence lawyer would do for you in court, give give your apologia. Always be prepared to give an answer, an apologia, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Well, here's... Um, a sort of summary of my definition of apologetics and we'll unpack this in a bit more detail as we go through after lunch but in, in sum I think of apologetics as being about us trying to help people to be persuaded that uh, Christian spirituality i.e. a Christ-centred spirituality is a beautiful uh, a good and a reasonable commitment to make. Helping people to be persuaded that Christ-centred spirituality is a beautiful, good and reasonable commitment. Uh, to recontextualise an image from the pagan Greek philosopher Socrates, um, the Christian apologist is a kind of spiritual midwife. Uh, Socrates used this analogy about his calling to be a, a philosophical midwife. But if we think of apologists as spiritual midwives, uh, helping people to deliver as strong and mature a spiritual response to Jesus as they can muster. And this response is holistic, as uh, Alastair McGrath, British theologian, uh, puts it here. He says, above all, we must expand our vision of the Christian gospel. Uh, apologetics involves enabling people to glimpse something of the glory and beauty of God. Uh, apologetics engages not only the mind, but also the heart. Uh, and we, we impoverish the gospel if we neglect the impact it has on all of our God-given faculties. Or as Francis Schaeffer uh, put it uh, in his 1968 book, The God Who Is There, uh, the purpose of apologetics is not just to win an argument or a discussion. 
but that the people with whom we're in contact as apologists may become Christians and then live under the Lordship of Christ in the whole spectrum of life. So there is uh, in at least some parts of the, the church a tendency to separate off the ideas of evangelism and apologetics and to, to kind of divorce them uh, but as uh, Christian philosopher Douglas Grothaus says uh, the artificial separation of evangelism from apologetics must end. Uh, he points out that the Apostle Paul for example serves as a model for us in that he both proclaimed and defended the gospel in say the book of Acts uh, particularly uh, um, famously in um, his speech before the Greek philosophers and the Areopagus in, in Acts chapter 17 which is what's depicted in uh, Raphael's picture here of Paul preaching in Athens. Uh, Grutath also mentions that Jesus also rationally defended his views as, as well as proclaiming them. And apologetics does work. Of course there's a sense in which you, you can't argue anyone into the kingdom you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink as the English uh, saying goes but there is a sense in which apologetics works uh, here is um, a quote from uh, a message someone wrote to uh, William Lane Craig uh, the American uh, Christian philosopher theologian apologist uh, and it's uh, quoted in the sort of uh, affidavits on his website and we'll come back to this quote uh, later on uh, because it, it reveals some interesting things that, that, that tie in with this sort of 3D view of apologetics um, but here in this letter the, the, the writer says Dear Dr Craig, I've been an agnostic for almost all my life I'm 26 now but partially because of your appearances and writings I'm on a journey of faith now I've been praying and studying the Bible and I, I feel so much more complete now. I also really like your debating style and how when someone asks a question in the audience you, you don't try to humiliate them uh, but you just offer your wisdom. Uh, even though you should be so proud of your accomplishments you've shown real humility. God bless you, Manasfi. Uh, so that's a, an interesting uh, reflection on how one person's apologetic ministry has played a role in someone coming to, to faith and we'll, we'll come back to that uh, after lunch. So part two. So in part one I introduced this uh, summary of the, uh, the approach that I advocate for, uh, that apologetics is about helping people to be persuaded that a Christ-centred spirituality is a beautiful and good and reasonable uh, life commitment uh, to make. But let's uh, put it in somewhat more formal uh, terms uh, and give us a structure that will then work our way through in the rest of our time together today. So I'm thinking uh, of apologetics as the art of persuasively advocating for Christian spirituality and we'll need to dig into what do I mean here by spirituality in particular. 
doing this through the responsible use of rhetoric uh, as Bjorn mentioned uh, this ties in with rhetoric which you've already looked at uh, as being objectively uh, beautiful and good and uh, true stroke reasonable so the art of persuasively advocating Christian spirituality through the responsible use of rhetoric as being objectively beautiful good and true stroke reasonable that is as being at least no less and ideally more reasonable and or true good and beautiful than any of the alternatives uh, that uh, people may uh, be considering or that one uh, might consider so let's start with what we mean by spirituality uh, a spirituality I think aims to be a, a virtuous and integrative way of relating to reality it's a way of life and it's a way of relating to reality um, in all its dimensions relating to to ourselves to each other the world around us and perhaps most importantly to whatever we think of as as being the nature of ultimate reality which is something we do via our our worldview assumptions uh, which may include um, worldview beliefs our, our attitudes and our actions and these uh, integrate and relate to one another so we have a, a spirituality is the, the sort of combination of your uh, assumptions attitudes and resulting actions or to use another three uh, alliterative words uh, spirituality is the combination of, of your your head and your heart and your hands if you like think of the way for example that Jesus taught that virtuous spirituality uh, involves loving God uh, with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your strength and he's referring back here uh, in the Gospels to uh, Deuteronomy particularly Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 uh, and in light of the uh, the biblical background in Deuteronomy here uh, we can kind of cash out and dig into what Jesus means more by saying that this means orientating all of your capacities uh, around an, an undivided primary loyalty uh, of obedient love or faith and interestingly the words are used interchangeably uh, that is that is centered on God so orientating all of your capacities around an undivided primary loyalty to God um, as James uh, puts it in um, James 1 verses 6 to 8 and be sure that your faith is in God alone do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea and is blown and tossed by the wind such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord their loyalty is divided between God and the world and 
they are unstable in everything that they do. So like any spirituality, Christian spirituality becomes a, a, a re self-reinforcing sort of feedback loop in, in a person's life. And all spiritualities, um, Buddhist spirituality, Muslim spirituality, atheist, secular humanist spirituality, Christian spirituality have this, this tripartite structure, I think. But they would all put different content into that structure. Uh, the contents of, of different spiritualities will overlap or fail to overlap to different extents. So a, a specifically Christian, Christ-centered spirituality is about loving God with all of your self in this tripartite structure and loving your neighbor and doing so as Paul says, in Christ, right, in relationship with God through in Christ. Let's come back to uh, 1 Peter 3.15, which we mentioned before lunch. And we can see here this tripartite structure. And once you have this structure in mind, you'll start seeing it all over the place in Scripture. So Peter says, always be prepared to, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have and do this. So he's talking about activity. Um, but it also, this activity links with the, the contents of what I'm calling here your, your heart. Uh, and I don't just mean emotions by that, but, but attitudes, your commitments, your choosing, uh, willing of things. So Peter is talking about for the hope that you have uh, doing this uh, process of apologetics with an attitude of gentleness and respect. And of course, it also links with uh, what's in your head. Um, be, be prepared to answer, uh, to give the reason, the apologia, so we have uh, head, heart and hands uh, combined in what Peter is talking about here. Or um, think of uh, when Peter gave the first um, you know, apologetic evangelistic speech at Pentecost in Acts 2 verse 37 here at the end there. Uh, when the people heard this from Peter, um, when they took on board what he was saying, uh, and they believed the truth claims about Jesus and his resurrection that Peter was preaching about. They were cut to the heart. Uh, they had a, a, an attitudinal response, which was a positive one in this case. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? How shall we practically respond to this? And they acted in response. So head, heart, hands. Um, Paul in Colossians 3 15 to 17 let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus head heart hands see part three <laughs> uh, 
So we've looked at um, the art of persuasively advocating Christian spirituality. We've unpacked a little bit more what we mean by spirituality. But what about through the responsible use of rhetoric? And this will be a bit of a refresher for you. Um, Gordon's informed me that you've already had a little look at rhetoric, but uh, here's what I've prepared to say on the, on the matter of rhetoric and, and thinking about how it kind of ties in here. Um, so here's the uh, ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle, who uh, was a very um, formative uh, influence on the, the whole discipline of, of rhetoric. And he defined rhetoric as, uh, quote, the, the power to observe the persuasiveness of which any particular matter admits. The power to observe the persuasiveness of any particular matter. Uh, and then to communicate that or to, to help an audience grasp that which is persuasive about something. So it's not about manipulating people through rhetoric, as we often in in our world talk about, you know, political rhetoric or whatever, as sort of a manipulation or the way in which adverts, advertisers uh, manipulate us through their rhetoric to buy certain products. Uh, but in the the Aristotelian philosophical sense, rhetoric is about discovering what is persuasive about something and then helping other people to to recognize that to be persuaded by what is persuasive so rhetoric encompasses the principles of how best to communicate such objective observations to an audience how best to help people engage with what really is objectively persuasive about something objectively uh, true, reasonable, good, beautiful about some subject matter. Uh, and a very famous quote in his um, book on rhetoric, uh, Aristotle describes these three elements of rhetoric like this. He says, of the modes of persuasion, the ways of persuading furnished by the spoken word, there are three kinds. You know, the first kind, which he calls uh, ethos, uh, depends on the personal character of the speaker. Uh, think of the, the, the goodness of the speaker. Uh, the second, which he calls pathos, uh, depends on putting the audience into a certain frame of mind. And, and this pathos really relates to, to objective beauty. And the third, which he calls logos, logos, on the proof provided by the words of the speech itself. And of course, you, you judge... Uh, logos, you judge the persuasiveness of a, a speech in this area by uh, by truth. So, we have uh, our spirituality of head, heart and hands, which of course relates to, correlates with, these three elements of rhetoric. That's why there are these three elements of rhetoric. Because they're engaging, trying to persuade the whole person. So we have head relating to logos, heart, relating to, to pathos, and hands, uh, our actions, relating to, to ethos, to your uh, perceived character. We perceive other people's character through their actions, through what they do. And you can see this uh, triumvirate of, of, of um, ethos, pathos, and logos 
Likewise, of course, in lots of Bible verses, just like the head, heart, hands, and they correlate with one another. So you know, here's uh, Paul's advice in Colossians 4, verses 5 to 6, talking about uh, evangelism. This is when you're with unbelievers, always make good use of the time. Be pleasant. This is talking about your ethos. Be pleasant to non-believers. Hold their interest when you speak the message. So get them engaged. Be interesting. It's talking about pathos. Uh, choose your words carefully and be ready to give answers to anyone who asks questions. And there, of course, he's talking about this element of, of Logos, giving answers, just like in 1 Peter 3.15. Uh, Peter and Paul on exactly the, the same page here. So, of course, it will relate to 1 Peter 3.15, the ethos, pathos, and, and logos uh, elements will, will just uh, correlate exactly. Okay, so here's our, our, our last part, our last layer of three concepts. So we've, we've got these three sets of three concepts that all tie up together uh, to make up this jigsaw. Uh, we're looking now at... at um, you know, persuasively advocating Christian spirituality through the responsible, the good use of rhetoric as being objectively beautiful, good and true stroke uh, reasonable. So here's a, a, a very nice quote from British philosopher called John Cottingham uh, talking about uh, truth and beauty and goodness and, and also what these concepts have, have in common, what kind of ties them together. And he says, uh, truth, beauty, goodness, they all carry with them the sense of a, a requirement or, or a demand. Uh, the true is that which is worthy of belief. Worthy of belief. Uh, the beautiful is that which is worthy of admiration. It's worthy of admiration. And the good is that which is worthy of choice. So this, this sense of, of worthiness, of requirement or, or demand, which all three of these concepts have. Um, and of course, the, these concepts relate together. When you're, when you're saying that something is good, you are, of course, saying it is true that it is good. Right? And I would say when you're saying that something is beautiful when something is beautiful you're saying that it is true that it is good that you admire it it is worth your admiration and when something is worth your admiration that's what that's what it is to be objectively beautiful all, all three of these concepts are objective they they are things that you discover about reality they're not things that you just make up about reality. They don't depend on you. you and therefore you, you can get your judgments about truth and beauty and goodness wrong. You can be mistaken because there's a fact of the matter and then there's your judgment about that fact. And only when the two line up and correlate are you getting your judgment correct about what is true, what is good, and also what is beautiful? Now, this objective view of value and of, of these three values, I think, is, is the biblical view. 
as well as being the philosophically sensible view. Um, so here's uh, Paul again in, in Philippians in, in chapter 4 verse 8 uh, saying finally brothers and sisters whatever is true uh, whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely and he's not just saying whatever you happen to feel is you know subjectively speaking um, and it's true to say when he's talking about what is true here he, he's talking in a, in a moral context so he's probably more talking about what is what is kind of truthful truthing re being reliable and, and truth of course this, this concept stretches truth is that which which is reliable because it is getting the facts right but whatever is is morally truthful whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy not what you just happen to praise but whatever is worthy of that praise think about uh, such things so i just want to reiterate that you know the the is's in this these sentences <laughs> really matter in terms of saying he's having an objective view uh, of these these concepts and so now that we've 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 gone through those three sets of three concepts we can have this this lovely chart uh, of how they all uh, relate to each other and tie up with one another so you have the you know way of life spirituality um assumptions attitudes actions head heart hands which are communicated through uh logos and pathos and ethos uh, the three elements of classical rhetoric uh, and are, are judged by the, what the ancient philosophers uh, called the transcendental values. Um, this isn't like um, transcendental as in um, yoga or, or Buddhist thinking, but uh, categories that transcend all of the different subjects that we cut the world up into in order to study it at university. So these are values that, that are, are really matter, whether you're studying um, biology, or maths or history or English literature or Norwegian literature or um, art or whatever um, truth and beauty and and goodness and that these all relate to each other so the head logos truth the heart pathos beauty uh, the hands ethos uh, goodness uh, where these there's a little bit of overlap but you, you see where they primarily kind of align here so this allows us with this 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 um, slightly deeper understanding of what we're talking about to come back to this sort of summary of apologetics as the art of persuasively advocating Christian spirituality through the responsible use of rhetoric and those three elements uh, as being objectively uh, beautiful uh, good uh, and true stroke uh, reasonable as, as a as a way of life to adopt and commit to and indeed at the heart of that not just you know a, a way of life but someone to whom one is making a commitment uh, making a commitment to God in Christ as Paul says uh, and adopting the way of life as being a disciple of Christ um, and helping people to be persuaded that that is a beautiful way of life a good way of life a reasonable way of life uh, there we go 
and we have a, a final bit of, of, of group work which I'll, I'll just introduce to you and, and again I think if we have time we can we can do some breakout rooms with this but I said we'd come back to this this quote that I had uh, from someone who'd written into William Lane Craig's website to, to thank him and I think it's really interesting to go back to this quote and to, to look at it and to think what what are the elements of Bill Craig's ministry that is that is have this life-changing impact uh, on this person who's written in and and how these elements of, of pathos and ethos and logos uh, that this person has seen displayed in Craig's ministry have jointly have combined to make an impact uh, on this guy's life um, so that we're, we're seeing that we have this more holistic view of apologetics that it's not just about you know arguing with people and ha having you know knowing about logic and arguments and things that's of course part of it but what actually impacts people is this this aligned combination of logos yes but with uh, pathos and ethos and how they all work together uh, in apologetics to help people to be persuaded of uh, Christian spirituality. Um, I think you're right, you, you see how, you know, someone may have, uh, you know, someone with the same arguments as Craig, who good arguments, but who didn't have his uh, ethos of um, humility, of taking people seriously and not belittling them, of not being big-headed and so on. Uh, someone may have good arguments, but their ethos would completely ruin it and would put people off and wouldn't really listen to those arguments um, for someone who, who had bad ethos. But on the other hand, someone might be a really attractive, nice person. You might be you know, attracted to them and to their uh, view because of that. But if they had no no firm content to what they were saying you also wouldn't wouldn't find it persuasive and and, and it's those two working together uh, that have the particularly uh, made uh, a difference if I go back to screen uh, sharing here I'll try and highlight what I, what I think these three elements come in into here I think pathos is probably the, the most difficult to kind of notice in this but I think when uh, Manasvi says I feel so much more complete now, uh, having come uh, on his journey of faith. I, I think he's saying that, that Craig has helped him to discover, to notice something that makes him more complete. That he noticed kind of attracted him because he was wanting to be a more complete person. And that he has found that in faith in Christ. Um, he was attracted to that which he thought would make him a more more complete and make his life complete and, and whole um, and that attraction has come through these uh, these elements of ethos and pathos so you're, you're right many of you because um, either you kind of easier to notice notice these um, about his debating style and when someone asks a question, you don't try and humiliate them. He's not just using these debates and public appearances as an opportunity to make himself look knowledgeable and clever. He, he's genuinely in it, 
for the for the good rhetoric of, of helping people to notice what is persuasive uh, and um, about his, the humility that he shows uh, in doing that and of course ultimately the, he does have something persuasive to, to share uh, as you're saying in those appearances and writings um, uh, offering his, his wisdom and, and that that has put Manasseh in, in, in touch with his own wanting to study uh, so that he realises there is there is more to learn and more to study, more 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 logos to dig into, but also that that's going hand in hand. That you know, digging into the logos of the Bible is going hand in hand with becoming a more complete person by having this new way of life uh, centred on Christ. Um, so it, all three of these elements work together, and this is this is why I find you know a, 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 apologetics and the ministry of apologetics. It is a spur and a challenge to my own discipleship because you've you've got to dig into all three it, it, and all three of these are, are are central to discipleship in Christ <laughs> really you know whether you're trying to do apologetics or not or, uh, as Christians we're all trying to be disciples of Christ and that means uh, you know the effect of Christ on the whole of our personalities yeah, you know our assumptions, our, our attitudes, the the consequential uh, actions uh, that we take uh, in the world, and and so um, you know God creates us as rounded, holistic people in His image, and addresses us uh, as such, and that's why the ministry of of apologetics uh, has to address the whole person made in God's image. Uh, through um, these uh, these roots that connect to uh, the whole person, um, and that's uh, why I think it's important to emphasize this sort of three D holistic nature uh, of what's going on here. Yeah.